0: Um, Today is a happy day, despite everything that's going on. Today is a very happy day in the Faria household at least. First of all, because we get to have uh, church in our home again. Um, but also because it's Jade's birthday. It's her first birthday, our daughter Jade. Uh, and we are just so, so overwhelmed with gratitude. Gratitude for for the gift that she is in our lives. Gratitude for the way that God has protected her and just the way that she's grown in this past year. But also so grateful for all her Jaders. Um, everybody that has loved and, and just poured so much love on our daughter. Um, thank you so much from the bottom of my heart, from the bottom of Reuben's heart. We are so grateful for the church family that we have and, and the way that you love our family. Um, but I am here today to finish what I started. I wanted to be with you in, in live at church, but because of this whole COVID situation, we're back home. But um, I'm here to finish what I started three weeks ago about. I started a message series called The Gospel of the Kingdom of God. And today I'm here to finish that message series. But over the past three weeks, we've been digging deeper into the theology of the gospel of the kingdom of God. We've studied the kingdom and we've tried to understand, well, what is the kingdom? How does it work? What is it all about? And then we've also talked about the king of this kingdom, Jesus Christ, the Messiah, our savior, the king of this kingdom. And so as I was talking or as I was studying for this message today and how I was going to wrap up, how I was going to close this whole message series, I was wondering, I wonder I wonder what people have taken from this message series. So we've preached a few messages. I preached and Ruben preached and Pedro preached. And I wonder what people have gotten from this. I wonder what we have said or what has been spoken that has been imprinted on people's hearts and has caused transformation or has caused something to change in their lives. And as I was thinking about this, a thought came to my mind. What if maybe after these three weeks, of preaching about the kingdom of God, what if maybe there's still some of you asking, okay, but what does the kingdom have to do with my life? What does the kingdom have to do with my every day to day? See, while theology opens our eyes to new revelation and fresh revelation, at times it can feel philosophical and not very practical. I think I can speak for all of us when I say that sometimes we go to church or we open up the Bible and the message is 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 deep and it's challenging and it's good, but it feels distant to my everyday life. There's a disconnect between what I'm listening to and what I'm actually living. And I think that's why I think that's why as Christians, sometimes we, we compartmentalize our faith right? When when we don't know what to do with the theology that we hear, we put it in a nice little religious box. So I went to church, I heard a great theological message, but I don't know how to relate that to my everyday life. And so I, I put it into a, a nice little religious box and I carry on with my everyday problems, with my everyday issues, with my everyday challenges the challenges and the, and the life that this God of this little box that I've put him in, he may or may not care about my Monday to Saturday. See, one day the disciples come up to Jesus and they ask him a very basic question. And I think we can learn so much from these guys. And that's why I talk about the disciples so much. I think we can relate. We can identify to the way that they thought and the way that they processed everything. And as I described earlier... The disciples they knew and they heard a lot of theology. I mean, they knew the prophecies and then they met the Messiah, they met the king of the kingdom of God. They were around him, they heard him preach, they heard the the deepest theology come straight from the mouth of Jesus. They had seen him heal, they had been around him, and one day the Bible says that 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 they come up to jesus i mean these guys we can say they were doctors of theology <laughs> just by association and yet the bible says one day jesus was praying in a certain place and then when they meet up with him they ask him the most basic question they say hey jesus would you would you teach us how to pray teach us how to pray what How can you be asking that i mean they had been with jesus for a while like i said they had seen him heal they had seen him preach powerful messages for sure they had seen jesus pray and yet they asked him this super simple i mean christianity for dummies question how do you pray teach us how to pray and maybe maybe you can relate maybe you've been coming to church for a while maybe you've been a christian for a while maybe not Maybe you like the messages, maybe the messages mentally they make sense to you and you like the worship and and you love to be a follower of Christ. but, But when it's just you and God in the quietness of your room, all of a sudden you start to feel a little bit uncomfortable. All of a sudden you have no idea what to say. You have no idea how to start a conversation with the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. You, 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 again, the, the Kingdom of God, it made sense mentally, especially when you were at church and you were listening to the message or when you heard the podcast. But now when it's just you and God, how do I even refer to Him? How do I even relate to Him? And then to make everything worse, all of a sudden you start thinking about other people and their beautiful prayers and how they pray so eloquently to God. How when they pray, they don't even stutter. They just pray word after word and they use all this spiritual language and then they get increasingly louder as they're gonna make a point and all of a sudden they go quiet as they start naming the titles of God. Oh, Jehovah Nissi, Jehovah Jireh, Jehovah Rapha. And there you are sitting in your room thinking, I don't even know what those words mean. And I don't even know how to talk to this God. See, it's a valid question. Jesus teaches how to pray. And so Jesus gracefully turns to his disciples and he answers their question. And we read in Luke chapter 11, verse 1 and 2. So, or actually, sorry, it's just verse 2. So he said to them, when you pray, say, our Father in heaven, Hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come. Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. And I'm just going to stop there. Jesus teaches us how to pray and these are the words that he recommends. But before we move on, I want to make a point. Really important point, right? You ready? God is not Alexa. If you take anything from my message today, I want you to take this. God is not Alexa. If you're an Apple user, God is not Siri. God or Jesus teaches us how to pray. This is, these are the words that he, that he uses, what we know as the Lord's Prayer, but, but it's not a formula for an intended outcome. You see, with Siri or Alexa, you have to say the right thing in the right way to get the right outcome. If you have an accent, Alexa might not understand you. If your voice isn't exactly clear, Siri might call your mom instead of your boss. You have to say it perfectly, exactly how the device will understand you to get the outcome. And yet that's not the point of this prayer. Jesus teaches us how to pray, and these words that he says, he's showing us how to take God outside of this little religious box that we put him in, and and take him outside of this philosophical idea that that is the kingdom, and he's teaching us how to bring God, the king of kings, into our everyday lives, our everyday problems, our everyday messiness. He says, when you come to God, first thing, Just come to him with a heart of praise. Come to him with a heart of worship. You don't need to memorize all these biblical titles. You don't need to copy the person next to you. Jesus says, our father in heaven, hallowed be your name. It's quite general because I think what Jesus was trying to say is when you don't know how to relate to this God in this box that you've put him into, in this theological, philosophical idea, Jesus says, you know what? Here's a way to start. Just come to him. And worship him for who he is to you. Who he is in your life. Remember back in Matthew chapter 16. Jesus was talking with all his disciples. And he says, who do people say I am? And they start, they start having this discussion. Well, some people say this. And some people say that. And then Jesus says, okay. And he interrupts them. And he says, but who do you say I am? And Jesus is perfectly consistent in his message today. Even now. He's asking you the same question in the quietness of your room when it's just you and God. Okay, but who do you say I am? Gabby, who do you say I am? Reuben, who do you say I am? One day, Jade, who do you say I am? See, I've been reading um, the one-year Bible plan, and I just got through the book of 1 Kings. And this book is basically David on the run the whole book. I mean, the guy's done nothing wrong, but he has this crazy nutcase after him called Saul, this stalker that won't leave him alone. I think if it was in today's day, uh, David would have put a restraining order against Saul because Saul is out to get him. Saul wants to kill him. And David is on the run, fleeing from cave to cave and just running for his life. And then one day when David becomes king, as we read this book in the Bible, David becomes king and then his own son starts a rebellion to try to overthrow him, to try to kill him and become king himself. I mean, David doesn't catch a break. The whole book, David does not catch a break. And so when David comes in the quietness of his room and he prays to God, we read that he worships him for who he is to David. David. The Bible says that David comes to him, comes to the Lord and prays and says, God, you are my safe place. God, you are my shield. God, when all these people are out to get me, all these people are trying to harm me and kill me, God, you are my shield. You are my refuge. You are my savior. You are my rock. And so when you pray, here's a way to start. Worship God. For who he is to you in your life today. Maybe today he's your healer. Maybe today he's your savior. Maybe today he's your provider. Maybe today he's your father. Maybe today he's your friend. Maybe today he's your counselor. Maybe today he's your teacher. Maybe today he's your guide. Worship him for who he is in your life. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. And then Jesus goes on and he tells us to pray, your kingdom come. Now we've been studying this kingdom for the past few weeks and if there's something that we have learned is that the kingdom of God is not of this world. But we have to understand something there. When Jesus is standing before Pilate and Pilate says, well, are you the king of the Jews? And Jesus replies, My kingdom is not of this world. We have to understand that that doesn't mean, by saying that, Jesus doesn't mean that the kingdom of God is just some imaginary, fluffy, fairy tale idea. No, the kingdom of God is real. It's present. It is here and it's now and it's not yet, but it is. The kingdom of God is real. What Jesus meant is that the kingdom of God cannot be compared the kingdom of God is not in this world in, in that it's unlike anything we have ever known or experienced. The kingdom of God is intrinsically different from any kingdom of this world. Have you ever experienced culture shock? Culture shock comes on many different levels and usually you experience culture shock when you place yourself in a new environment where people are doing things differently than what you're accustomed to. And, and I've lived and traveled to various different countries and experienced lots of different forms of culture shock. I've even experienced culture shock just coming back into my own country and not resonating or not not, not seeing things the same way as my own people. Um, but even in the church community, We're a non-denominational, international church. And so even in our church community, every Sunday and throughout the weeks, we experience all sorts of culture shock. For example, when I say we're meeting at 7 p.m. for dinner or something, to some of you, you may think and understand that we're meeting at 7 p.m. To me, I understand that as we're meeting at 7.15, maybe 7.30, and it's okay, it's right, it's all right. Culture shock. <laughs> to some of you, when you enter somebody's house, it's a sign of respect to take off your shoes. God forbid you have your shoes on when you go into somebody's house. In my culture and to me, if you take your shoes off without asking in somebody else's home, it's a complete sign of disrespect. I, I can just hear my grandma like, where do you think you are? You think you're in your own home? <laughs> culture shock. To some of you, for example, um Eating curry with your hands is the best way to eat curry. To me, it's unnecessary since the brilliant invention of cutlery. We don't need to use our hands. And it goes on and on. There's so many differences between our cultures and they, and these differences, they spark something inside of us. There's even culture shock, um, within marriage. And for all of you who are married, um, you will, Right now, I'll be thinking of the many times you've experienced culture shock in your own marriage. Ruben has just left the room, so now I'm, I'm free to speak. Um, but uh, our families are very different, to say uh, the least. But for example, in Ruben's family, it is very normal and, and everyone's comfortable to just stop at a, at, at, in the middle of the meal or something and look each other intensively in the eyes and say, I love you. In my family, um, say I love you, but don't look at me for too long. Don't say I love you and, and I love you too, but don't make it awkward. There's no need. In Ruben's family, for example, um, it's okay to get passionate as you're speaking and as they're entering a debate, it's okay to raise your voice and then to interrupt each other. And in my family, tone is everything. And if you raise your tone, it feels like you're angry. (laughs) And so there's differences there. And so Jesus says, we should pray, your kingdom come. Why? Because the Bible says that though we are in the world, we are not of the world. And so the world has a certain culture. It has its own set of values, its own principles, its own goals and objectives, its own ways of doing things. And as Christians, we belong to the kingdom of God. And every day we should pray, God, your kingdom come into my life. We should be in a constant state of culture shock with the world and with this environment that we're in. We should pray, God, I want to live in your culture. I want your principles, I want your values, I want your goals to be my goals, I don't want to be conformed to the world around me, God, I want to live in your culture, I want your kingdom, I want to be completely submerged in your kingdom culture, and we've talked about the kingdom culture, we've talked about how how Jesus did things completely different, how how when everybody wanted a rebellion, Jesus said, no, blessed are the peacemakers, when everybody wanted to overthrow their oppressors, Jesus said, no, love your." enemies god your kingdom come i don't want to live in the kingdom of this world but your kingdom come in my life you see when culture shock stops happening it's usually a sign of integration when when you stop noticing what used to be strange or offensive it's a sign of conformity to a new environment And sadly, I think that all too often we as Christians, we stop noticing the evil and the sin that is offensive to the heart of God. Every day we see injustice, we see lies, we see sexual immorality, we see dissension, we see jealousy, we see selfishness, we see disrespect, we see violence. And while all of that should shock us, while it should offend us, because we are part of a a different kingdom... Sometimes we don't even notice. We become so accustomed to this culture, we start integrating, we start conforming, and we don't even notice. And so Jesus says, when you pray, as Christ followers, pray your kingdom, come. And as you make that prayer, may you be renewed by the transformation of your mind as you are not conformed to the patterns of this world, but as you live the kingdom of God and His culture. See, one day God's kingdom will be fully consummated, and there will be a new heaven and a new earth, and everything will be perfectly restored. But until then, I want to experience the kingdom of God in my life as much as I can. God, help me to live according to the culture of your kingdom a culture that promotes peace instead of conflict, humility instead of pride, selflessness instead of jealousy, forgiveness. Instead of revenge. Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. See, if God had a list of the most frequently asked questions, I think at the top of his list would be, well, what is God's will for my life? Jesus tells us to pray for God's will to be done in our lives. Well, what does that even mean? Again, Jesus is trying to deconstruct the box that we have put him in. And when we don't know how to connect the Bible and the Sunday message that we hear with our everyday lives. He's trying to deconstruct that, to break that down. When the disciples ask Jesus how we should pray. Essentially, they're asking Jesus, how do we relate to God? How do we talk to God. And Jesus says, hey, if you want to be in a relationship with God, then we have to get something straight right in the beginning. You can't put me in a box and continue living your life. You can't put me in a theological, religious, Christian-labeled box and keep going with your own will and your own plans and your own goals. From now on, You have to take God out of that box and let him be the king over your life, which means, God, your will be done in my life. Well, how do I do that? How do I know what God's will is? And I want to give us a few pointers this morning. Number one, for God's will to be done, we need to obey his instructions. The Bible tells us so much about God's will already. The Bible already tells us so much about God's preferences and and His ways of doing things and His values. This may seem straightforward, but so many times we say we want God's will in our lives. Meanwhile, we are in direct disobedience to His Word. His Word that is already revealed. His Word that is so often in so many places already so clear. See, I've heard so many people and have so many plans, plans of finances, plans of opening new businesses, relationship plans, all with the goal of being in God's will. The problem is that the plan to get there includes a disobedience to God's word. You cannot disobey your way into God's will. I heard people say, oh, Gabby, this is the man for my life. This is the woman for my life. This is God's will. I know it. It's God's will for us to be together. And I'm excited and for them and we start talking and I start asking a few questions and I, I get to that question, well, is your relationship sexually pure? Uh, what do you mean? What do you mean is usually code for uh, no. You can't disobey your way into God's will. Oh, I'm going to start this new business. I know it. God has revealed this idea to me. And when I, when this business is booming, I'm going to give back to the kingdom and I'm going to be generous and I'm going to, I'm going to donate to all these causes and, and it's going to be great. And this business will be to glorify God. And then we start asking a few questions and we start realizing that for this person to set up their business, that's supposedly the will of God. They're taking a few illegal shortcuts to get there. You can't. Disobey your way into the will of God. Well, how do I know God's will for my life? Number two, you need to spend time with God. It's that simple. Christianity is about a relationship, not a religion. In 1 Samuel chapter 3, the Bible talks about a guy named Samuel. And Samuel was that great, famous, big prophet that anointed David as king. Um, But before he was this famous Prophet, Samuel was just a guy. And the Bible says in 1 Samuel chapter 3 that, that Samuel was um, living in the temple and, and he was living a life dedicated to God. He will, he was a follower of God. He was studying what was the law at the time. He was giving his every day, it was dedicated to do the work of the temple. And the Bible says that one day um, Samuel went to bed and he went to sleep, and then in the middle of the night, God calls his name, Samuel. And Samuel gets up and he doesn't really know that it's God. And so he goes next door to Eli's room. Eli was a man that had practically raised Samuel since he was a child. And he says, yeah, Eli, uh, you called me? And Eli goes, no, I didn't call you. Go back to bed. So Samuel gets back to bed. That's weird. And then the Bible says that God calls him again. God wanting to speak to him. God wanting to reveal his will for him and for Israel. He says, Samuel... Samuel gets up man what in the world and he goes next door he goes to Eli Eli you called me and now Eli's getting a bit frustrated I'm sure because who likes to be woken up in the middle of the night Samuel I didn't call you go back to bed and so Samuel goes back to bed and the Bible says a third time that happens and finally Samuel goes again to Eli and says Eli what is it you called me and I think he's actually quite respectful, at least the Bible. I wonder what the tone of his voice was at the time. But he says, Eli, you called me. And Eli finally realizes, oh, wait, God might be trying to speak to you. God might be trying to say something to you. And so the Bible says, Eli told Samuel, go and lie down. And if he calls, if he calls you, speak. say, speak, Lord, for your servant is listening. And the Bible says that Samuel goes back to bed and God calls him yet another time and he says, speak Lord, your servant is listening and God is able to speak his will into his life. See, we're not not very good at listening. How do you know the will of God for your life? Listen. And when you spend time with him and when you read his word, when you listen, God will start to speak. Maybe not in an audible voice, even though He can do that. But, but you'll feel it in your spirit. When you open up the scripture, certain verses will stand out to you. Maybe God will use people around you to speak into your life. Hopefully, maybe God is even using me today to speak into your life. God will start speaking when you start listening. And all of a sudden... The God who was in a box is now in your decisions at work. As you start listening and God starts to speak, now the God who was just confined to a limitation that was just purely philosophical or, or, or mental, now he's at the center of your relationships. Now as you hear his voice everywhere concerning every part of your life, now God is at the priority of your finances. Now God is in your lifestyle. Now God is in your home. Now God is everywhere because you were listening but let me give you a couple warnings (laughs) about this. Number one, when you feel you have heard a word from God, make sure it lines up with the word of God. God's will always lines up with God's word, with the Bible. I've seen so many Christians make the most bizarre decisions because apparently God told them to. The thing is that God's voice is not about our feelings. We can't trust our feelings. The Bible says that our heart is deceiving. It says in Jeremiah 17, 9, the heart is deceitful above all things and beyond cure. Who can understand it? And so hearing from God is not about just trusting your own perceptions because that may lead us to make all sorts of disastrous choices. So make sure when God speaks to you, When he reveals his will to you, make sure it is aligned with what he has already spoken in scripture. Make sure his word is confirmed through other people or confirmed, most of all, confirmed through the word of God. Second warning, when God speaks to you, when you choose to listen and he speaks and reveals his will to you, be prepared to possibly have to abandon your own will. See, have you ever avoided a a conversation or a situation because you know that if you get into it, you're going to have to do something about it. You're going to have to act. I need to admit something to you and please don't hate me but this is the reason why I don't watch documentaries or read any books about vegetarianism and about being vegan and all the things that are done with meat because I don't want my eyes to be open and I don't want to have to do anything about it because I love my meat. I'm sorry to all the vegetarians watching this, but I love my and So I don't watch. I just stay in my beautiful, blissful ignorance because I don't want to act on it. (laughs) And I think as Christians, so often we choose not to listen Because otherwise, God might just speak. God might just reveal his will to me in my life. And if his will doesn't match my will, then I have a problem. Then it challenges me. Then I have to do something about it. But Jesus says, when you pray, pray this. God, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. So here's the good news. Despite possibly having to abandon your will, here's the good news. God's will is always better than our will. God's plans are always higher. His dreams are always bigger and better. His plans are always wiser. The Bible says in Isaiah, as the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways and my thoughts higher than your thoughts. We can trust him wholeheartedly when God asks us to do something that, that isn't according to our will. It's not exactly what we wanted. We can, we can leave that behind knowing a hundred percent with full assurance that if God wants this, then it's the best. He has my best interests in mind. Oh God, your plans are higher than my plans and you see the big picture and I can trust you. But this is easier said than done. Again, Saying this may may be easier to preach. Again, saying this may sound nice mentally and, and it fits in our box, but what about in my everyday life when I actually have to forsake my will and follow God's will, when I actually have to trust Him? See, some of you know that last week my cousin passed away. She was not even 50 years old and she loved life. She was at the beach every chance that she got and she passed away. And now my uncle and my aunt, that was their only daughter and they are suffering beyond what words can describe. You ask me what my will is? My will is that my cousin would still be alive. My will is that my aunt and my uncle wouldn't have to suffer the incredible suffering that they're going through right now. That's my will. It's not a bad will. It's not an evil will. It's not a cruel will. You see, our human will is not always terrible. It's not always selfish. It's not always bad or seemingly bad. It's just not God's will. And so we have to, even when it's hard, and it's hard in this circumstance I'm describing, oh, it's hard to have peace and just say, God, I trust you. It's, it's easier said than done. As I look at my aunt, as I speak to her on the phone, and she's just crying and crying, asking why did this happen? It's hard, but, but at the end of the day, Jesus says, pray, God, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven, and we have to trust. What he says when he says, my plans are higher than your plans. My thoughts are not your thoughts. I see the big picture and I work all things together for the good of those who love me. No matter how it may look, no matter what God is asking of you, no matter how hard it is to forsake your own will and just trust that God's will is better, Do it because the Bible says what no eye has seen, what no ear has heard, and what no human mind has conceived, the things God has prepared for those who love Him. Oh, that for me gives me so much hope. Oh, no matter what it looks like. Oh, no matter how unfair it may look like. Oh, I know that God has prepared things greater than I have even even imagined. Maybe some of of you have a will to get married and you're wondering why you're still single and, and your will is that you would find your husband today or your spouse or your wife today. But God's will is that you wait a little longer. I don't know why, but you can trust him that his ways are higher than your ways and that if you're waiting, it's because God has your best interest in mind. Maybe some of you, your will is that you wouldn't be struggling right now with your finances because of COVID. Or your will is that you would have gotten that job and not the job that you're in right now. Your will and my will is that we wouldn't be going through all of this with COVID. My will is that we'd be together in church today and not here online. But in everything, we can trust. God, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Not my will be done, but your will be done. Oh God, because we can trust that you are better that you are wiser, that you know so much more than what we know in our limited understanding. And so as I close today, I just, I want to challenge you. If this is you, that you've been listening to the messages and you've been, you've been hearing us talk about this kingdom, but then, but then you don't know how to relate to God. You don't know what to say to him. You don't know how to pray to him. Today, I want to challenge you. Just start this way. Worship him for who he is in your life. Ask his kingdom culture to, to submerge you. Ask his kingdom culture to be what identifies your lifestyle. Seek to to live his values and his principles and not the principles of his world, of this world. and, And then ask God, your will be done in my life. God, I don't want to live for myself anymore. I don't want to put you in a box and just do my everyday life and and go from Monday to Saturday and go through my own challenges and try to figure out my own problems. No, God, I want to take you out of that box and I want you to be in my life. I want you to be at the center of my decisions. I want you to be in the center even of my suffering, God. I want you to be there because your will is better and you can make beauty out of ashes. You can make beautiful things out of that which just looks dark and grim to us god you can do a new thing oh god i just i don't have all the right words maybe i don't i don't sound eloquent like all those other people and i don't know all those spiritual words but god i just i worship you and i want to talk to you because i believe that you're there i believe that you're you're listening to me and i i want to listen to you god speak into our lives. God, I want to know your will. What is your will for my life? What do you want me to do? What's the right decision to make at work? What's the right decision to make in this relationship? What's the right decision to make with my money? What's the right decision to make in this conflict situation? God, I want you to be in every area of my life, not just some parts of it, not just be in my life on a Sunday morning when I go to church or on a a Thursday or a Tuesday afternoon when I go to Bible study. God, no, I want you to be in every part of my life, in every corner of my heart, even the parts that are that are, I'm embarrassed about even the parts that I'm ashamed about even the parts in my life that I have I have no clue what to do about God I want you there I want you to be king I want you to be sovereign that's what sovereign means total control total knowledge God be king over my life I want to submit to you I want to submit to your will because I know that it's good Thank you for speaking, God. Thank you for being a God who is so great and so majestic. God creator of the whole universe, what we know and what science is still discovering. You are God over it all and yet you are so close. You are so personal. And you speak to each and every one of us. I wanna challenge you this morning. Speak to the King of Kings because he's listening. And listen to the King of Kings because he's speaking. Right now we're going we're gonna to put on just a, a black screen or just the standard screen with the way the prayer that Jesus taught us to pray. And this is not the full prayer. You can go later and, and read the rest of the chapter where Jesus tells us more of what we can pray. But well, we're just gonna put this part that I that I spoke today. And I wanna challenge you in the quietness of your room, in the quietness quietness of your kitchen, or wherever you are this morning. It's just you and God. I'm not there. Pedro and Jamil worship team is not there. It's just time for you and God. Speak to him.